The podcast is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy, which is good. Uh, it is a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. And it's simple and intuitive, clear design with data presented in an easy to digest way. I actually thought that sentence was going somewhere. That's actually just a description <laughs> of this thing. I was really like, oh, it's simple and intuitive, clear design with data presented. And it's like, no, wait a minute. It's not actually going to say anything uh, beyond that. Um, but basic, you know, I, I have talked about my experience with them before. I do uh, have the Robinhood app, even though I know absolutely nothing about investing. Uh, you get a free uh, share of stock when you when you sign up at uh, Robinhood.com slash podcast, P-O-S-C-A-S-T. Uh, that's Robinhood.com slash podcast, C-O-S-A. No, excuse me. Oh, you know what? This is weird. No, it's different. It's different now. It's it's podcast.robinhood.com. It's podcastrobinhood.com. Hopefully uh -huh. we have an editor that will just cut out the, the wrong way that I we said. We don't. We don't have that. <laughs> it is pretty cool. I have actually played around with the app for the last couple of weeks, and uh, it is really cool. I, I still don't know anything about uh, the stock market or how to invest or any of that, but, uh, it's, it's got a lot of really cool information about, uh, about companies and investing and, and, you know, little, little tricks of the, of the trade. My I favorite guess. part of this, of this read is when you get to the point where you say that they offer cryptos, yeah. a, like <laughs> cryptocurrency, because there's like, there's no greater gap between right. a, a human being and a thing than you and, and cryptocurrencies. And crypto <laughs> that is that is so true. That is like there is it's there is nobody to my right. Like cryptocurrency is like seven thousand billion miles to my left, and there's yeah. nobody to my right. I am the furthest person away from understanding what it is. Even if I did understand what it is, that I would never have anything to do with that. So I don't do that. But if you're if you're somebody who is into uh, the cryptocurrencies. Uh, Robinhood is a great uh, app. Podcast.robinhood.com is the correct address to go to. Uh, <laughs> Podcast.robinhood.com. Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me, Joe. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's, it's you know, it's I sense a like sort of a a casual, you know what, Thanksgiving's almost here vibe from. from I mean, we're, everybody's on vacation, basically, right? It really, for the rest of the year. Yeah. Don't you think the year ends? Basically, for most people, like November fifteenth, it seems. Except I will for like say real this. working people. In the world of in Hollywood, there used to be this thing where you know you get the week off or most of the week off uh, for Thanksgiving. Some people work, some people don't. And then what would happen is like unofficially, sort of nothing would really happen after like December fifteenth or something, right? You know, like most people, like the agencies would close and the studios would pretty much close or whatever. And occasionally, the something would occur, but really, most people 
was sort of go on vacation around the 15th of December. That date has gotten earlier and earlier every year <laughs> that I've been here. And now, yes, starting on about November 20th, like Hollywood is closed. And it, yeah. and it, and it's like, it's not bad. Like people get nice vacations and they can kind of take it easy. And there are, there are shows that shoot episodes in early December and stuff, but it is, it really does feel like it's coincided with the, the mission creep of Christmas where now um, it used to be like the day after Thanksgiving is all the Christmas stuff would go up. When we were kids, that's what happened, right? Right. The day after Thanksgiving, all the on Black Friday, all the Christmas decorations would go up. Correct. Then it got then it went before Thanksgiving. Right. Then it uh, and it got earlier and earlier. For a while, it's been November first. Like as yeah, soon it's as been it, creeping into Halloween. For yes, sure. it's been the day after Halloween. You would go to like a shopping center, and the Christmas stuff would go up. This year in Los Angeles, before <laughs> Halloween. In some places in this city, there were Christmas decorations up. Like in on like October twenty third, you would find Christmas decorations, and that I mean that's really bad because that is a that's the Rubicon right there, right? Yeah. If yeah. you now now there's nothing to stop us from going all the way back to about July fourth. The next <laughs> the next backstop that we have is a national holiday is basically July fourth. It's 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 gotten out of control. I was noticing this year. I mean, I'm sure everybody notices it in different ways. I've been noticing it this year. You know, there's a huge uptick in in just basic traffic and and being able to get around really after Thanksgiving. I mean, obviously everybody knows about Black Friday, but but all the way through December, I, as far as I can tell, Black Friday is no worse than like every other day leading up to Christmas. Like it's 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 impossible to get around. You can't park anywhere. It's, it's just, it's just kind of nightmarish and, and everybody's, I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's good. Everybody's out, everybody's shopping and whatever, but it's, it's, it's a big pain that has been getting earlier and earlier. And I noticed that this year it really started like November 10th or something where you just suddenly couldn't find a parking spot anywhere and you couldn't get around anywhere and traffic was, was nightmarish. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I I do believe. I mean, other than like uh, again, real people who have to actually do a living. If like if you if you work in a in a like the book industry, for instance, that's it. Like November twentieth is your last day of yeah. the year. That's you just uh, you can you can call and and uh, and try to to do anything in that in that world. And it's like, yeah, we'll talk to you after the first of the year. Uh, so yeah, I think that's going across the board. It's sad, isn't it? I think it is sad. I, I don't want to lose two months of the year. I, mean, I don't that either. That doesn't feel right to me. I, it's... I also just feel like the like the, the, the you know the reason for it. It's not because people are feeling more like warm Happy. and empathetic right. towards right. his or her fellow humans. It's, no, it's just it's just pure commerce, and pure and commerce. There, there's no like you you want to at least be able to pretend that we're locating that that we're. That the, you want to try to pretend that we that the that the commerce is a is like a byproduct of the of holiday t- a cheer or something, right? You want to be able to pr- lie to yourself, and right. tell yourself right. that that's true, right. even though you kind of know it isn't. And then the, when you move it earlier and earlier, you're now just you're now just outright saying no. It's just because we need to sell more stuff. Yeah, no, you're just confirming. Yeah, that this is this is what it's all about. But we actually are offering something. Super fun. That's right. It, this, it this is. is our this is our our uh, the podcast's attempt to counterweight 
the <laughs> raw commerce of the holiday season. By offering you more raw commerce, which That's I right. think is really great. <laughs> but for a good cause. It is for a good cause. So we are what we are doing is, and we are this is this is a pure experiment, like everything else on the podcast, we fully expect it to be uh, a disastrous flop. But what we are doing is we are selling uh podcast t-shirts. Uh, for the next two weeks, I believe it's I believe it's only going to be until December third because we want to uh, you, you'll you'll want to get them for for holiday gifts and I guess that's that's the limitations on what it's going on. So we are selling two shirts. We are we are giving uh, proceeds to charity. The proceeds are all going to charity, um, and there are two shirts that we are selling, uh, and they are not going to have any podcast like uh, branding on it because we don't have any podcast branding. Um, but you will know their podcast shirts because they are two shirts. One that I think everybody will understand. I am am supporting. One that Mike is supporting. So so the shirt that I am supporting, the T-shirt that I am supporting, and I'll give you uh, details uh, about this uh, at the end here. Uh, the shirt I am supporting, the shirt I would love for you to buy, is a T-shirt uh, that says in green letters, beautiful green letters, "Fruit Pie is Delicious." That is that is the shirt that I'm uh, that I am representing, and the shirt that Mike is representing. Hot fruit is disgusting. Hot fruit is disgusting. That is the one in red letters. Um, that this is Mike's uh, touch, by the way. Yeah, is the coloring. Well, right? originally when you sent me the shirts, fruit pie is delicious was in red, and hot fruit is disgusting was in green. And my only note was that they should be reversed because be reversed. hot fruit is yeah. disgusting is like there's an it's an alarm that should be an alarm, <laughs> a klaxon, if you will. Of, of red alert, a stop alert. Sign. Just a you're in, bam, you're in just trouble. A stop. stop. Don't move. You're about to do something disgusting <laughs> and fruit pie is delicious should be green. I think because it's more like, yay, you eat fruit pie. It's green light. Go ahead. Go, green, go green, nuts. Eat right? as much as you want. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> that's exactly right. So uh, super fun. So what we are having a, a little, uh, we're having a little competition. It's a little podcast competition. So uh, we, no, wait, do we know what charities where the money's going to? We're each choosing our own charity, and I know what charity I'm going to do. I can tell people I'm going to represent the Crohn's and, and Colitis Foundation, um, uh, something that I feel very strongly about. It's uh, something that has deeply affected my own family, and uh, the uh, Crohn's uh, disease, you know, is, um, well, I don't want to go into to too many morbid details, but it's it's very trying. You know, my daughter has Crohn's and it's a very trying uh, disease. And it's something that they're making incredible progress on, on finding a, uh, finding a cure, much less, you know, they've already made tremendous progress in how you, how you deal with it, but, uh, but they are very close to finding a cure. So I will represent the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Uh, and I don't know who you're going to represent. You, you, you don't have to decide right now. No, I, I, uh, I'm going to do the uh, international rescue committee. It's the IRC. It's a wonderful organization that uh, goes into incredibly uh, tough places on earth, war-torn areas, refugee crisis areas, and uh, gives relief to people. It was started by Einstein uh, in the 40s, I think, um, as a, as a, to uh, help Jews escape uh, Nazi Germany. And it now does work all over the world in, in places like Yemen and Uganda. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, so I'll do that. I'll uh, represent the ARC, IRC. The IRC, excellent. This, this is really good. And I'm thinking... That we do, we have some kind of you know little wager on this where oh definitely most shirts uh, or the least I feel shirt. like we should just make a personal wager of some amount of money where if your shirt 
uh, sells more, I will donate money to your charity. And if my shirt sells more, you donate to my charity. Exactly. That's, I think that's exactly what we should do. And the amount is $50 million. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking 45 million, but, but but, you know, somewhere in that range, um, no, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. So, uh, the details of this are going to be on uh, my uh, Twitter feed. We'll we'll get it up on the on the blog at the Patreon uh, because it's it is the page is being put together as we speak. So I don't have an actual address to give you right now. But uh, please go on to the Twitter account. We'd love for you to um, to partake. To they're be very handsome shirts. It's really they're very plain, straightforward gray shirts, and they just say in all caps either. Fruit pie is delicious or hot fruit is disgusting. There's no like, it doesn't say the podcast. It doesn't right. say Patreon. Right. It doesn't say Joe's name or my name. It really is. It looks just like a, it looks like what it is, which is just a t-shirt with some words on it. <laughs> which is awesome because I think whatever words you choose, and of course the cho- the words you will choose, uh, fruit, pie is, fruit pie is delicious because that's obviously the right answer. That's a philosophy. I mean, that's, I mean, you're walking around, people might say to you, oh, hey, you know, are you a, a podcast listener? Or they might say, where, where the heck did you get that shirt or something like that? But what they're most likely to say is, yeah, man, totally. I am totally with you. What you are saying is so wise and so. Yes. Uh, your your choices are you can lie. You can lie to yourself and buy the fruit pie is delicious shirt and live in a dream world fantasy where there's something, there's literally anything good about heating up fruit or you can unplug from the matrix and <laughs> see the universe as it truly is and have the blinding truth and vision like wash over you and realize that you've been lied to your whole life and that in reality, hot fruit is disgusting and also help refugees. So you're, so, well, well <laughs> I, I believe that you're, you're helping, you're helping, you know, hundreds of thousands of people across the country by not taking, which is the, it's, it's the red pill, blue pill thing, right? So which one's yeah. the red pill, which one's the blue pill again? I, I, don't, I don't know. know. I remember. <laughs> it's one of them. One of them is the one where good things happen. And one of them is the one where bad things happen. I think they're both things that bad things happen. No matter what, it didn't seem like there was any good things. That's that true. Were- not a ton of people in the matrix were like living awesome, verdant lives. No, not really. <laughs> not really at all. But, you know, all right. So those are your choices. Fruit pie is delicious. Hot food is dis- hot fruit is disgusting. Uh, really going to be a lot of fun. I uh, hope you uh, are a part of it. So let's talk sports. And uh, so I, I don't really know where to start this week because there's really two major, major topics. And one is in baseball and one is in football. Uh, but I kind of feel like even though we always start this thing with baseball, I think football is pretty heavy on our minds right yeah. now. Yeah. I yeah. think I think we could start with football, and I know you've got something you want to address to uh, our podcast listeners right off the start. So here's the deal. As you know, as I've said many times, I'm off the NFL. I watched more NFL football yesterday than I have all year. Uh, wow. It was a sort of an accident. I had something that I was had to do, and then it got canceled, and I found myself without anything to do. And, like, that's what happens, right? That's how they get you. Football's on, so I just start watching football. So again, I don't have the NFL package, so I'm I'm confined to local games. And I found myself watching the Chargers Broncos, a game I literally couldn't, even if I were following the NFL, I could not care less about. Right? Um, so, uh, where, where are those two teams? I mean, so of the 32 teams, everybody knows like like 32nd is like the Buccaneers, right? Like who? Like who? Nobody cares. I mean, In terms they, of they, caring. Yeah, the Buccaneers maybe are the or like 
used to be the Jaguars, but that, I think that's changed. Yeah, it's probably the it's in it's something. It's like the it's an AFC South team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a lot of Panthers fans. Though. No, no. So yeah, but the Chargers, even though the Chargers are like seven and two, the Chargers are probably fairly high on the list of teams no one cares about, right? Nobody even knows that they're in Los Angeles. They yeah. Okay. So, um, so I'm watching this game. So, so two things happen. Number one is I, I look at the I, I look at scores uh, uh, as they flash along the bottom of the screen, and I see that Jacksonville is beating Pittsburgh sixteen to nothing. Right. And I think, wow, how about that? Good job, Jacksonville. Um, that's a whole separate thing that we'll get into later of how the Jaguars blew that game. I, I, I literally could not believe how they, they blew that. I'll get into it now. They, they had four drives after they were up 16 to nothing. They right. were 96% to win the game. In the four drives after they uh, were up 16 to nothing and trying to like hold a, there were two minutes and nine seconds left in the third quarter. They ran eight times. They ran Leonard Fournette up the middle for a total of six yards that's eight rushes for six yards over those four drives they were sacked three times they threw two incompletions and one of the sacks led to a fumble uh that ended the game that and they lost 20 to 16 (laughs) i mean the idea that um that that team is sticking with that quarterback at this moment in time is just beyond me like they have a they have a, a defense. They picked off Roethlisberger three times and had two other interceptions that were nullified by penalties and completely shut down one of the best offenses in the league for a long time. Sure. And then the way that they tried to win the game is by running Leonard Fournette up the middle eight times over four drives for a total of six yards. So long after running Leonard Fournette up the middle had proven to be a failing uh, strategy. Yeah, yeah. They just kept going. So that was one way that a team blew a game yesterday. Now let's go to the other thing. And this is what I really wanted to talk about. So I'm watching this Chargers Broncos game. The Chargers are winning uh, 19, uh, 22 to 20, right? So they, uh, so the, the Denver has the ball and uh, they, I think they have to punt or something. And they hit, there's like three minutes left and the Chargers have the ball. Right. And so they run the ball up the middle and then there's a timeout and then they throw a little screen pass or something. And then there's a second timeout. And then on third and six with three and a half minutes left, Philip Rivers throws a 25 yard completion to uh, Antonio Gates. Right. And it's first and 10 at midfield ball game. Basically there's two forty five left. Denver has one timeout ball game. Right. So they run Melvin Gordon. He gets seven yards on first down. Yeah. So it's second and three. Denver takes their last timeout. That's it. Now, they're pretty much game over, right? So it's second and three with 240 left. Phillip Rivers uh, like runs around and gets sacked, I think. And and uh, so now it's like third and seven. But you get to the two-minute warning. Okay. Yeah. So here's the situation. Two-minute warning. It's yeah. third and seven at midfield. Yep. Third and seven. Um, the Broncos have no timeouts. You're up by two points. There is only one thing you cannot do in that situation. There's exactly one thing you cannot do, and that's throw an incomplete pass. <laughs> That's all. That's the only thing. And, and by the way, it's extremely easy to not throw an incomplete pass. The way yeah. you achieve it is okay. you don't throw a pass. <laughs> that's the way you, the way to, to guarantee that you don't throw an incomplete pass is by not throwing a pass. By not throwing a pass. That's right. right. So Philip Rivers drops back and throws the ball directly into the ground. <laughs> that's literally what happened. He re- they were going to run like a wide receiver bubble screen thing. And I don't know if the ball slipped out of his hand or whatever, but he threw the ball and it went four yards and hit the ground. And he reacted like, oh, I blew it. I think what happened is 
he went to throw the ball and then decided not to throw the ball, but his arm was in motion and he threw the ball into the ground. Two seconds came off the clock uh, and they had to punt. Now, if you are like the, the, the Jaguars blew the game by running the ball by with, with a quarter and two minutes left by just running the ball, they tried to burn the clock, but there were 17 minutes on the clock when they started trying to burn the clock. You can't burn the clock when there are 17 minutes. If, the opposing team knows you're going to run Leonard Fournette up the middle over and over and over again, then you will not, you will fail, right? The, the chargers had to burn exactly 40 seconds off the clock. And the way that you do that is you run Melvin Gordon up the middle and who cares, who cares what happens? Because if you run the ball up the middle with two minutes left and the other team has no timeouts, then the clock goes down to about one nineteen. Right. And then you call a timeout and then you punt from midfield and you pin them inside the 10 or inside the 15. Right. And at that point, in all likelihood, you're winning the game. They have no timeouts. There's going to be a minute 10 left when they get the ball. Your chances of winning that game are astronomically high. The only thing you can't do is exactly what Philip Rivers did. He dropped back. He made a mistake, a mental error, a physical error, whatever it was. He threw the ball into the ground. And then Case Keenum, who I found out live, works uh, plays for the Broncos. Case Keenum <laughs> <laughs> brings the brings the Broncos all the way down the field, and they get to the, like the twenty yard line, and they kick a field goal, and they win the game. They win the they win the game. By the way, he clocks the um, the ball to stop the clock uh, with three seconds left. So they wow. took they had a minute fifty eight when they when the when the Chargers punted. They won the game with three seconds left. Now, obviously, things would have been different. They would have approached it differently, whatever, blah, 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 blah. The point is, instead of a minute 15, they were given a minute 52, and they won the game with three seconds left. And my point in all of this is just to say, I know it's boring that the Patriots win every year. I know it's boring that they're always 13 and three or 12 and four, and that they always have a bye and they always make the Super Bowl. But there's a reason for it. And the reason is, if they're up, uh, by by you know 16 points and there are 17 minutes left they don't just run the ball up the middle over and over and over again because they know that doesn't work and if they're up by two points with them with two minutes left and the other team has no timeouts they don't throw incomplete passes because they know that's the only way they can lose and it's it's remarkable in this day and age with all of the data that we have and all of the incredibly advanced metrics and stuff that there are still these coaches and I know that the Jaguars are limited, and I know that the Chargers. Oh, well, actually, the Chargers aren't really limited. They seem really good. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know how good they were, but they looked really good. But like they, they just blow. They teams blow uh, games in the dumbest ways. And I, I just like it. Reminded me partly why I just don't enjoy watching the NFL as much anymore. It's because it's so frustrating. Even when I have no rooting interest, these teams blow games in such terrible ways. Well. Being a Browns fan, I can tell you, I my experience is the exact opposite of yours. So I'm constantly shocked when any team does it right, ever. I'm like, constantly, <laughs> well, that was smart. They just ran the clock out. That was actually really smart. My question for you, I did not see the end of the uh, Chargers uh, uh, Broncos game uh, and also was unaware that Case Keenum is the uh, quarterback for the, for the Broncos. But I'm looking at the play-by-play now. Why on second and three did Phillip Rivers like run up the middle and lose four yards? Like what, why would they were throwing the ball on that, on that play? On I honestly three? don't remember. So it's two thirty nine left. I I think that may be the way that the ESPN stat bot thing re- reported a sack. I'm guessing. I don't know. 
It could um, be. It could just be a sack. But I mean, even if it's a sack, why was he throwing? Why him was he throwing the ball? Right yeah, down? yeah. I mean, it's actually lucky that because uh, otherwise he would have thrown an incomplete pass and there would have been even less time. But all do right. you realize, like, all he had to do on oh, if he if he looked for that bubble screen, all he had to do was fall down. If he fall or run around and then fall down, like that's the right. only thing you have to do is burn time off the clock. And you don't, and the, you don't even run the bubble screen. Just just hand the ball off. I, yeah. I none of that makes sense. All right, I, there is something I want to talk about. This is I'm going to take us off the off the beaten path for just a second because there's something I wanted to dis- discuss with you. Uh, that I think is is uh, you know very NFL-ish. Philip Rivers, okay. Philip Rivers is he is being referred to on on broadcast. I don't know about this one, but on games I've seen as future Hall of Famer Philip Rivers. That's how people like announcers refer to him now as future Hall of Famer Philip Rivers. And if you look at Philip Rivers' career, like numbers. You go, oh, I, yeah, I can understand why they say that because Philip Rivers has thrown for more than 53,000 yards. He's thrown 365 touchdown passes. He's he's top whatever. He's top five, top 10 in everything, basically, right? Top eight in passing yards, sixth in touchdown passes, eighth in career passing rating, um, uh, you know, basically everything, basically everything. Um Am I wrong? Philip Philip Rivers is a Hall of Famer? I I I'm wondering here's here's my sort of question about the NFL now. The stats have gotten so goofy because, you know, everybody's throwing it, you know, and obviously that's grown and grown and grown and grown and as we've talked about guys like Andrew Rock, Andrew Luck and all that, they're going to put numbers up that are going to blow everybody away, all right? Philip Rivers has put up numbers that are, you know, staggering and and you know, numbers that that mock you know, the, the great quarterbacks of the past, your, your Staubachs and Unitas's and even guys like Dan Fouts and, 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 you know, guys like that, it's, it's blowing those guys away. I don't think he's that good. I mean, he's, he's fine. He's a, he's, I'm not saying he's not a hall of famer, but I'm saying I've never thought of Philip Rivers as one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL uh, at like any point in his career. And, and, but he's going to put up these kinds of numbers I mean, it's silly. It's just a silly Hall of Fame conversation. But don't you think at some point now, because the numbers are kind of getting goofy, that we're sort of, I don't know, losing touch with, with you know, it's, I don't want to compare Philip Rivers' numbers to anybody who played, you know, 20 years ago. It's silly. It's, it's a well, that's game. the thing. It's like he he's going to have better numbers than almost every single quarterback in the Hall of Fame. I mean, his numbers are like three times as good as Terry Bradshaw's oh, yeah. and five times as good as Roger Staubach's. <laughs> so it's like, it depends on what you, and it just depends. I mean, I think he's great. I think he's, he's had the misfortune of playing for a moribund franchise that no one has ever cared about that in his 15 year, 16 year career has had like three really good teams. One of which was bounced at home by the Patriots in one of their years in 2000, whatever it was four or five. I can't remember. Um, you know, they've had a couple good teams that have really made runs, but generally speaking, the team's kind of stunk. And so he's been putting up these like incredibly consistent sort of cartoon numbers, 4,500 yards and 35 touchdowns or whatever, 30 touchdowns a year, every single year, year in, year out. And no one cares because the team ends up seven and nine. So I don't know. I, I don't know how you judge it. I mean, the NFL is so hilariously stingy with their hall of fame. Like, it's so dumb. Like that 
they have this real like only five people can get in and they have all these old timers that they have one of them has to get in and whatever like there's going to be this in in like 10 years there's going to be the most absurd backlog of people who deserve to be in the hall of fame they're going to have to do a thing where like one year they clear the decks and they just elect 50 people because they're 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 gonna have if they have any i i can't stand how um how like protective and sort of like snooty the hall of fame voting committee is like there are so many guys who are so obviously deserve terrell owens just got in like there's he's like the third best wide receiver of all time and and so i don't know what they're gonna do with these guys i don't know what they're gonna do with you know everybody i mean here's the thing philip rivers is better than eli manning eli manning is gonna get in because he's won two super bowls and That's if right. you and it's like if you elect Eli Manning, you you have to elect Philip Rivers. He's better. Right. He's had better a better career. Exactly. So that they're gonna there's gonna be this huge like hilarious reckoning where one day the 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 Hall of Fame committee is gonna look up and there are gonna be literally fifty guys, offensive tackles and defensive tackles and linebackers and kickers and punters and quarterbacks and running backs, all of whom, without question, deserve to be a member of the hall of fame and they're, and they don't, they won't know what to do. And they're just going to, it's going to like, it, there's going to be this insane. It's going to be like the, the green Bay Packers season tickets line. It's going to be like a 30,000 person line. Although I guess that turns out to be fake, but I, whatever the point, you get my point. There's going to be this insane backlog of people who deserve to be in the hall of fame and won't be in. I don't know what they're going to do. Well, it's weird. It's really, it's really strange. You're right. You're a hundred. Well, look, if you think about it, compare it to the baseball hall of fame. I mean, there are, there are more than twice as many players on the field and more teams. I mean, so there's got to be many more people who are worthy of the hall of fame. And, and uh, you know, if, if you want to do that, you know, the, the hall of fame makes the baseball hall of fame makes a big deal about it. You have to be among the 1%, the top 1% to be a hall of famer. Well, the top 1% of the NFL is much more than the top 1% of, of, of baseball. But, but I guess I'm wondering about, to me, there, among the many issues with the Football Hall of Fame is that it's you, you can't do it like baseball. It can't be, I don't think, a numbers game. Matthew Stafford is going to end up with better numbers maybe than anybody ever, right? I mean, yeah. he's 30, he's already almost 40,000 yards passing and a million, you know, 230 touchdown. He's going to, he throws for 4,500 to 5,000 yards every single year, 30 touchdown passes every single year. Um, you know, and maybe, maybe that, that is true greatness. Um, but it just feels like it's just, it's kind of the time where if you're a, if you're a pretty good quarterback, uh, especially if you're playing, you know, in that sort of setting where, where you're the whole show and everything, those are kind of the numbers you put up. I mean, I don't know if is, I, I think Philip Rivers is better than Matthew Stafford. Well, I think he is too. But there's also like Stafford's going to break that record. And then, you know, Cam Newton's going to break his record and then, right. Patrick Mahomes is going to break his record. I mean, it's a little bit like the NBA, right? Like, you know, like LeBron is going to, could be the all-time scoring leader. And then, you know, Durant or will break his record. And then like Anthony Davis will break his record. Like these players get better every year. The games get better. The, the athletes get better. They, the rules start to favor offenses more and more. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you do. I, to me, it's like, I don't, see the problem with putting Philip Rivers in the Hall of Fame. Oh, no. He's a, he's like I, I don't either. I don't think I don't think it's a problem. I'm just saying that the numbers are the things that are, are that that 
are driving it and the numbers are not the same. Like, like everybody's putting up numbers. Everybody's putting up these big numbers in, in the NFL now. And I, the one that reminds me is uh, a few years ago, Charlie Joyner went into the Hall of Fame. Charlie Joyner was a very good receiver. Very, very good. But the reason he went in the Hall of Fame is because he, uh, for, a, for a time, was the all-time receiving leader. And how do you not put the all-time receiving leader into the Hall of Fame? You have to put him in. But it really was, he was just sort of a canary in the coal mine because he played on on those Chargers teams that that threw the ball all the time. And, you know, now Charlie Joyner is like 28th all-time or something in, in these various things. And he's been passed by a whole bunch of people that are not going to probably end up going to the Hall of Fame. I mean, look how long it took Terrell Owens to go, for crying out loud. So I'm just saying that that it's an interesting question to me. Philip Rivers... Again, I never thought of Philip Rivers as I always thought he was very, very good. I never thought of Philip Rivers as one of the three or four or five best quarterbacks in the NFL. So, uh, but I also think I don't see how you're not you're going to leave him out. And I also think the way that the the numbers are in the NFL, it's the whole thing is crazy because let's there's one other element, and I know it's one of your favorite topics. Everybody in the NFL is better than they were in 1972 or 98. 1988 or probably you know 90s i don't i don't even know what those great dallas cowboys teams of jimmy johnson and and that group would that would those teams dominate the nfl today i don't think so no way i mean look at go back and look at troy aikman's stats from that era he had like he would throw for like 23 touchdowns or whatever that's like two good games for patrick mahomes and then like if you go look at larry zonka like larry zonka you know on that famous uh, undefeated team and a hall of famer, blah, blah, blah. He had three years where he rushed for a thousand yards and it was barely over a thousand yards. And yeah, in his career, in his entire career, uh, 11 year career, he had 106 catches like th- that, you know, Le'Veon Bell has 106 catches a year. Like the, the offenses are so different and the game is so much faster and better. There was, those guys just, it was, it's a completely different game. Like I, that's why I feel like you shouldn't, you can't keep electing people to a Hall of Fame based on the old rules. Like you got to right. invent new rules for this era. You got to start like whatever. Started start a pre, a, you know, a pre two thousand wing and a post two thousand wing. Do something, but you're not going to be able to justify keeping these guys out of the Hall of Fame based on the fact that the the uh, based on the people who were in from the old era just can't do it. Actually, Larry Zonka's uh, per carry was better than I thought. It was four point three. That's that's actually pretty solid. I, that's, I actually, that's like basically his his offense was what the Jaguars did with Leonard Fournette in the last seventeen minutes of that game. Run him up the middle, like over and over and over again. Right? It's like you know what? That's a much much smarter play when you have defensive linemen who are two hundred and ten pounds. I mean, that's, <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yeah, he was he was two hundred and thirty pounds or whatever, and he was he was as big as the guys who were trying to tackle him. And okay. now the guys who are trying to tackle him are all RoboCop. There's just a bunch of RoboCops. And so the, that's the the that's the thing. It's like the game is – the athletes are so much better. They're so much faster and stronger. They jump higher. They run faster. Did you – Vaughn Miller in that game I was watching yesterday, Rivers earlier in the game dropped back and tried to throw a screen pass. And Vaughn Miller, who is insane, he's just an insane human being. He right. – like – he started to rush, recognized the play, stepped back, slid to his left, and picked the ball off, and then ran so fast that the other way. He was run down at like the 20 by like a wide receiver or something 
but like that guy, that guy's not, you're not supposed to be that athletic if you play his position. Like, it's just absurd. These people are absurd. And so the idea that you would say like the hall of fame is not, you was not going to let in Philip Rivers or whoever. It's just, it's ridiculous. Well, that's right. I'm saying the rules have changed, but I, but but you can't go by the old the old numbers. By the way, did you see the uh, the the little snippet that was going around uh, uh, social media yesterday of Khalil Mack knocking down a, an offensive lineman with his left hand as he was yes, I did. Oh, <laughs> this, is, this is not a human. This is not a human being. These Correct. guys really are Avengers. They're just like weird superhero characters. And by the way, there was two things that, that crossed my mind when I'm watching that Khalil Mack thing. First of all, he's unblockable. He's truly literally unblockable. Mm-hmm. You could burn 80 pounds. It doesn't matter. You can't block that guy. And the second thing is good decision by John Gruden. I thought, I think really smart decision. I don't think there's anything he could do to help uh, that club. Right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you know who the middle linebacker was for the 1972 Dolphins? Uh, no. Nick Buonaconte. Buonaconte, sure. Right. Sure. Do you know how tall and how much uh, he weighed? How tall he was and how much he weighed? Uh, no, I don't. He was 5'11", 220. 5'11", <laughs> 220. Yeah. He it was, was a middle linebacker, 5'11", 220. There are very few like scat back slot receivers who are that small in the league. Right. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the thing I always think of when I think of the uh, 1972 dolphins, uh, one of the most famous parts of the 1972 dolphins uh, was the fact that uh, Earl Morrill had to come in because Bob Greasy quarterback, Bob Greasy got hurt. Right. And Earl Morrill had to play and he played, he started nine starts and he won, obviously won all nine games. He led the NFL in those nine games, he led the NFL in quarterback passer rating. Okay. You want to hear his numbers? Do you want to hear what, what Earl Morrill's numbers were? The miraculous Earl Morrill. <laughs> sure. Nine, nine starts. Okay. Okay. 83 for 150. Okay. You can do a little math on that. You know, <laughs> 20 passes per game, by the way. 83 for 150. That's a 55. That's a solid 55% completion percentage. By the Absolutely. Way, right yes. Very solid. 1360 yards in nine games that's mm. hey, you double that up that's almost 3,000 passing yards <laughs> 11 touchdowns seven interceptions a 91 quarterback rating that not the point not being that I mean the real moral God, God bless you, man. He w- It led the NFL with a 91 passer rating in 1972. That might have been a slightly different game. They might they might have a little trouble facing. Their uh, their left tackle was uh, weighed 250 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> what would Khalil Mack even do with a 250-pound left tackle? Uh, don't, you- don't worry, though, because their left guard weighed 253 pounds, so they could... The two of them, I think, could maybe, if they teamed up, they could take uh, Cleo Mack. Their center weighed 250 pounds. Their right guard, ooh, their right guard, Larry Little, weighed 265. That's pretty good. Larry Little's a Hall of Famer. And then their right tackle, Norm Evans, he also weighed 250 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) And this was the best of the best, That was the best team, yeah. They, yeah. Yeah, it's not the same. It's not the same. All right, before we go on from the NFL, we have to discuss uh, my question, which will be, uh, this week's uh, Browns update. Let's check in on the Cleveland Browns. How are they doing? 
So this was the Browns. I wasn't even expecting to have a Browns update this week because the uh, Browns had the bye, uh, which is always a wonderful moment for for Cleveland sports fans when we uh, don't have to uh, even worry that the Browns are going to lose. We can just sort of take the week off. Instead, on Sunday morning, uh, Adam Schefter of ESPN breaks the story that the Browns are considering talking to Condoleezza Rice uh, to be the next head coach of the Browns. Now, this story sort of lost some legs as it went on, as uh, uh, Condi Rice came out and and sort of said, hey, you know, I'll always be a Browns fan. I'm not experienced. They should bring in more women to, to be coach, which is obviously very true. Um, and the Browns have sort of denied that they really wanted to talk to her. So it's sort of lost a little bit of its, of its legs, but here, here's really the point I wanted to make. Well, there are two points I want to make. One is if indeed the Browns become the team that, uh, that brings women in to be coaches and, and work in the front office and, and actually takes advantage of the fact that the NFL has been, uh, so, uh, uninterested in hiring women for since it's began. Right. If on that team, I, I, boy, would that make me happy? And I think that's how we get you on board. Then you become a Browns. <laughs> you become fully a Browns fan. Yeah. If they become this kind of team. So if this is what if it leads to that, I could not be more excited. If if it if it leads to that. Second thing, uh, more specific to the actual uh, Condoleezza Rice thing. Um, they lost their minds. Why? You know, the Browns are finally, finally looking like up. Like everything is looking good. Team is coming off of a great win. I think their best win in years. Um, they they have the who the guy who appears to be the quarterback of the future. They've got a, a very smart guy uh, as the GM. They've got playmakers all over the field. They've got a bunch of draft picks next year. This this is clearly a team on the rise. This is not just just Brown's crazy optimism. This is clearly a team on the rise. The one thing that could screw this up, I mean, there are many things that could potentially screw it up, but one thing that could screw this up is for this team to suddenly decide, you know, let's try something utterly insane and see if that works. See if it works. Let's see if Condoleezza Rice, among all of the uh, former Secretary of State's, the best choice to be the next <laughs> Let's see if you don't. Why? 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 Okay, and, so here's 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 the. There's a bunch of things to say about this. Number one, headline. It's kind of cool. I think it's kind of cool just to float the name of a woman, and especially an intelligent, accomplished woman. I think it's kind of cool. I like that they're doing it because I like that they are. They're saying like, there's no reason she she shouldn't be. There's no reason we shouldn't talk to a woman as a head coach. Like. I think it's kind of cool. That's the first thing. That's the main umbrella headline for me. Number two, of course, it's absurd, but it's only absurd for the same reason that it would be absurd to talk to anyone who has never had any coaching experience at any level in football at all. Right. That's that's the reason it's absurd. Um, Number three, I think my fear is that they are going to talk to her as a stunt and not as a real interview in an attempt to basically like get around the Rooney rule, right? That's, that would be the, that would be the, the, the worst version of this is if in no way are they serious at all. It's just an attempt to kind of like 
do something kind of flashy and then and then uh, like get around the Rooney rule and then hire whoever the person is that they want to hire. Like when Mark Davis hired John Gruden, he didn't even pretend to, to deal with the Rooney rule. He just was like, no, I'm hiring John Gruden and giving him a hundred million dollars. And it, by the way, it's working out great as far as I can tell. Um, so that the, I think it, at its best, it's like a it's an organization that is saying we are going to be like the San Antonio Spurs or like the right, whoever right. where we're just going to say like we're going to go get the best people we're going to find inefficiencies in 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 terms of human intellect and we're going to there's no stone that will be unturned in terms of searching for the right person the thing i don't understand is why they wouldn't offer her a, a position that she's more qualified for which would be Absolutely. some kind of front office position some kind of like strategic position that that you don't need like you no one in the world man or woman can step into an nfl locker room and be the head coach of an nfl team in the year 2019 without any experience it is impossible it's too hard a job it's the stakes are too high the the system is too complicated like in order to be a head coach like you would have to start at a much lower position on the ladder what no matter what your gender is and no matter what your age is you you just can't no one the the smartest person in the world you could bill barnwell couldn't step into a, to an nfl yeah. locker room and be a head coach so it's ne it's not a serious offer but what should be a serious offer that they should really make to her is to say like come like be a be like a special advisor to the gm now she wouldn't take that either in all likelihood because i think she wants to be the actual commissioner of the league, which would also be cool. But I, I feel like there's a, it's 50-50 whether this is good or bad. The good part of it is let's break uh, an unnecessary, let's shatter an unnecessary glass ceiling and just say out loud, we should pe teams should be approaching women for high-profile roles like this. And then the bad part of it is we're not really serious. It's a way to get around the Rooney rule. We're just doing this to kind of distract we already know who we're going to hire and we're doing this to sort of like so that we can say later, no, we didn't just hire generic white guy X. We also uh, were interested in Condi Rice. So I'm not sure who knows which one it is, but like I'm optimistic. I'm hoping it's the former. Yeah, I, I think there's a pretty decent chance it's the former. I really do uh, think it's a decent chance because the Browns do have a very good history of of I mean, they've they've not hired good coaches. But they have uh, hired diverse coaches, and they have been interested in in being a uh, sort of a leader on that front. So I do hope that there's some element to that. But I think your point is is exactly right. If if they were serious about trying to do something with with Condi Rice, do something that is realistic. Do something that isn't just kind of publicity stuntish like this thing is. Um, you know, I I want to believe and hope that this is this is a this is a mindset, and the mindset is, hey, we're you know, Condi Rice is a is a very accomplished person. She's a big Browns fan. Uh, we're not, we're going to keep every you know option open here, but we're going to also bring her in and 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 have her tell us how we can bring more women in to into our front office, into our coaching staffs. I mean, look, they're realistically. If you think about it this way, the NFL forever, really, from the very, very start of the NFL, has ignored half the brain power in this country, just ignored it as it's completely irrelevant to the sport. And I am utterly convinced that it's baseball and football and basketball 
the future uh, smart teams are going to be the teams that take advantage of this incredible untapped uh, group. I mean, you right now, if you want to hire women, you can hire the very, 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 very. <laughs> That's right. Yes, it's a completely it is a completely untapped resource. Completely untapped resource. So if the Browns were signaling that, then I could not be happier. If the Browns were thinking, well, Kissinger's too old and and uh, Colin Powell is just not going to quite get it done. <laughs> Let's go for Condi Rice. And we really want a former secretary of state. Uh, who has never coached and never done anything at all in the NFL. Uh, not good. Not good. Yeah. So I guess we'll, guess we'll find out. We'll find out. But Browns could not just leave like a bye week alone. They couldn't just let me just not even have something to panic. No, about. they had they, to do something that caused you to like tear your hair out in one way or another. In one way or another. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's talk a little bit of baseball. I want to talk uh, about the um, the awards uh, that we, we usually do an awards preview uh, where we perfectly predict the awards. Like we've we gotten always- every single one of them right every single year we've done this. It's amazing. We're on a crazy heater. Well, I think the reason we stopped doing it is we were kind of ruining it for, for people. The, yeah. the, the drama, the, they were just like... A, I already know who's going to win. They already told me. So we didn't do that. But there, there, are, there are three basic questions I want to ask you uh, about the awards, and we'll go through them individually. The first one is, um, which of the two coach uh, managers, rather, that were uh, that one manager of the year, which one will be fired first and how soon? My big, my big thought is, is always with, with manager of the year is how quickly will that manager get fired? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, am I crazy to think they're actually both kind of safe? Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't see. I don't think Bob Melvin's going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. Right. I mean, they won 97 games or something insane. And, and that, and that, that that team is not they're not going to fire him if he just has a bad year next year. Yeah, you know? and I I I feel like he's I don't know. I feel like he's I feel like he's definitely safe. Uh and then Snitker, you know, that I don't think that team's a fluke. They're they're their team that team is so young. And granted they have a couple guys like Markakis and and sort of veteran guys who had like really good years who could completely sort of fall apart next year, but they've got a lot of really really good young players and i i don't i mean unless there's something we don't know like unless he really stinks as a manager and everybody hates well, him and does he i don't know this, this is this is sort of the point that i'm trying to make uh i and i am not in any way saying that brian Snitker is a bad manager i i've not studied the the brian Snitker, you know sort of history or anything like that i'm just saying that one like like there's a there's a long standing history uh, you know, in, in the American league for, for, you know, he, this is the third time he's won manager of the year. Snitker, God, that one feels to me like, wow, just one, you know, one next year where there's going to be huge expectations. They'll probably make one of the big signings and there'll be huge expectations. And suddenly they're, you know, 40 and 57 and, and nobody knows what the heck is going on. And the, the, the hot seat starts coming. I could see that happening. I could see, I could see the Snitker thing ending like badly. Yeah, I, I hope that's not 
true. I, mean, I love that team. I, I think they're really fun and I would love to see them sort of emerge. But um, yeah, very, I don't know. I, well, look it, at it this way. He's not a nationals manager, right? If he were a nationals manager, the the yeah. the answer would be that guy's gone <laughs> because because uh, Davey Johnson won it in 2012, fired. Then two years later, Matt Williams won it. He was fired. Like the, it's crazy that um, the two guys can win manager of the year for the same team two years apart, and then both of them are long gone. Like they're and, and like, disastrous, just disastrously gone. Uh, I mean, yeah, like humiliatingly gone. Um, so I don't know the, the, I, I feel like if you had to bet, you would bet on Snitker just cause he's more of an unknown, like, yeah. like, yeah. but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, Melvin's been there for a while now, right? He's been at the A's for eight years or something or seven years, eight years. They're not going to get rid of Melvin. And by the way, I also want to say this, and this is, this is Bob Melvin did a heck of a job, but I, it is, it is staggering that Alex Cora did not win that. It's hilarious. It's really wonderful. Now, look, Melvin, Bob Melvin took a team with like a $20 payroll to 97 wins. Like he totally deserves the award. It's totally fine. But it's very funny to take over a team in your first year, win 108 games, blow through the playoffs and win the World Series and not win the manager of the year. It's very funny. I mean, again, they had the highest payroll in baseball. They're the second highest. I can't remember one or the other. So I get it. Like, uh, I understand. But the manager of the year award of all the stupid baseball awards, the manager of the year award is probably the stupidest, don't you think? Like, I, I don't know. There's the only not since 2001 has the manager of a team that won 100 games won the manager of the year award, which is just very funny. It's like it's they try to find like the guy who overperformed. Right. That's sort of the thing. It's like the, it's it's really it's it's an award that goes to the manager who got the most out of the least at some level. And so what you end up with is like these guys doing these incredible jobs managing these teams. And then they just don't win the award because Joe Girardi wins for the Marlins in 2006 for with a team that won 78 games, like (laughs) just hilarious. It's, It's really one of my favorite things. And it's so it's look, I get it. I do get it because if you, if you just gave, the award to the team that has the best record, then why have the award? Right. I mean, then right. it's just like they've already gotten that. So I, I, I get it from that perspective, but it's, I mean, you're how in the world are you looking? I, and I do get it. You can say, Oh, that Red Sox team had more talent or whatever. First of all, it's not that easy to manage talent. And we all know that. I mean, look at the nationals this year, nationals this year, as far as I'm concerned, uh, and we've been actually talking about this a lot on on uh, on instant message between uh, us with Brandon McCarthy. This was one of the truly disastrous seasons in the history of baseball for this Nationals team. This Nationals team was amazingly talented, and then in the middle of the year, they get Juan Soto, who who might end up being the best player of the entire group, and. Um, and they still were dreadful. And okay, there are a lot of reasons, but you know what? That team won how many games did they win with Dusty Baker last year? I mean, yeah. 97 or something. I mean, they won 82 it, games this year. I mean, it's it's truly shocking. Like when you, if you say before the year, you have Scherzer and Strasburg, and I know the injuries are a thing or whatever, but you have, you know, and then you have Trey Turner, and who again is injured a lot, but you have Anthony Rendon, you have Ryan Zimmerman. You ha- and then you're going to get halfway through the year, you're going to get the best like 19 year old rookie in the history of baseball who's going to win the rookie of the year award. 
you think that team's running absolutely running away with their division and it's it's like it's hard and by the way they had a good closer too like they like yeah. they, they had a guy who had a legitimately good year who i mean his uh, uh what's his name doolittle his he threw like uh yeah he had a like a an amazing he never 60 strikeouts and six walks this year he had a, yeah. a whip of 0.6 like they it, it's it's the, like an optical illusion where you look at their roster and you think how did this team win 82 games that's insane they should have won 105 yeah it's it's utterly insane i mean you know it's funny i mean it's you know now they're going to be without harper and they're probably going to be better i mean it's it's that's the that's the crazy thing but you know that's so that tells you to me it's hard to manage talent it's hard to you know we're we're sitting there trying to to manipulate the whole thing where we're going okay well this was we these, these guys went in with less expectations so they they did better than we thought they were going to be and all sorts of other nonsense and meanwhile i mean i think alex cora on a team that was incredibly talented and incredibly well put together and all those sorts of things i think he did one of the all-time great managerial jobs how do you do what what more could he have done yeah what but how could he have done a better job as a manager? I mean, that team was together all year. They, they, their messaging was on point. They had incredible game plans going into each of their series. Obviously, that's not a, a part of the vote now because they still vote at the end of the year rather than waiting for the playoffs. But still, that just that team was incredibly well directed. Um, they had exactly one bad moment all year it was the 18 inning loss in the game three of the world series to the dodgers and like tom verducci wrote a great piece about how he like rallied them together and he gave them a speech and he like held them together and he like he like just like turned it around and they went into the next game and they were scoreless through seven innings and then like blew the dodgers out of the water one easily and then won the next day like even when the rare moments where the team was challenged, they started 17 and two, the rare moments where they were challenged at all, like he knew how to handle the challenges. And there were also specific things like he went up to Mookie Betts. We talked about this before and said, here was our scouting report on you. And you should not, you should know that this is how teams are pitching you or whatever. And Mookie Betts had one of the greatest years in the history of baseball. Like there's even sort of specific managerial approach things that he get, that he did. I, I mean, you're right. It's like if you can if you don't win the manager of the year award for that job, then it's like, well, why do we have the award? Right. Well, that's my point. My point is if at the beginning of the year, you're going to say, OK, look, I don't care how good the Red Sox are. I don't care how good the Yankees are. I don't care how good the Astros are. None of those managers are going to win manager of the year. Then just disband it. It's pointless. Yeah. And and I would say very specifically for Alex Cora, because this is a guy who was also thrown into a very, very tough situation. First year, they had just fired a manager who had had success. And, and you know, you're coming into a, a very different situation. He'd never managed before. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, again, I know it's just an award and it's just whatever, but I don't get it. I do not get how you don't give Alex Core that award. But, yeah. Here's my second question. This is really a fun one, and I'm, I'm dying to know your answer to this. Just in the National League, which of these three Rookie of the Year candidates will end up being the best player? Ronald Acuna Jr., Juan Soto, or Walker Bueller? Oh, man, is this man? Exciting? Is this exciting for this is such an exciting time for baseball. 
those three guys are all like I could see all of them going to the Hall of Fame. I mean, it, it's so early, but all three of them have that kind of talent. Which of those three guys are going to be the best player? I mean, how do you even? It's just a wild guess. You're just you're basically it's just a lottery. I mean, I take any of them. I yeah, of course you take any of them. I feel like there's something about Soto's approach when he came up so poised, he's 19 years old or whatever, and he's hitting home runs the other way as a lefty. Like just, there's something about that that stuck with me. And he was the first of those guys to really break out, I think. So um, I don't know though. Then the, but then you look at Walker Bueller pitching in a world series in his rookie year and throwing like seven shutout innings of two hit ball against an incredibly good offense. Yeah, It's hard to like, I mean, if you're talking about, I mean, if look, if you're starting a franchise with one of the three of them, you probably pick Bueller because of the value of a starting pitcher, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's hard not to say that like that's the guy you would draft first if you had to draft one of the three of them. But How do you not draft Acuna. I mean, this guy's—he's insane. No, he's a monster. He's a total monster. I don't. I think like there's no. Um, I mean, there's no, no there. You cannot, you can't go wrong. Each, each of the three of them is, is, I would say it's literally exactly as likely that any of the three of those guys ends up being the best of the three of them. Right. I think that's right. I, I honestly, I mean, I guess maybe Jeter, A-Rod, uh, Nomar, I'm trying to think of a time when you had three players like that unlimited coming up at the same time in the same year, in the same rookie of the year balloting. I don't, maybe never, maybe never that you've had, because I don't think all three of those guys were uh, eligible for rookie of the year the same year. Wasn't it Nomar up a, a year earlier? I I, I think you're been. right. Yeah. Or no, Jeter might've been right. One of them. I, I don't think they all were they because I, they were not all three, certainly in the same rookie of the year class for sure. So, you know, and then you look at the American league and I meet mean, Otani, uh, Andahar, I mean, Torres, that, that, I mean, God, baseball is it's baseball is an incredible time right now for for talent. Yeah, I, I, have you? It, I mean, we talk about it all the time, but have you ever seen? Have you ever seen it like this? I can't. It's it's hard to it's hard to remember. There, there might have been because like the thing about like no Nomar a Rod Jeter. There was that debate was real for a while, and there was even a year when you would have said Nomar is in the lead. And then like Nomar gets hurt a bunch and his career falls off. And now you don't think of it as, as like a, a real battle, but it was for a while. And I'm sure there are these moments in time that we, you kind of forget because one of the three or four or five guys you're talking about kind of washes out a little bit. I mean, but right now I, I can't, it's like the craziest thing is the best players in the league. All of the best players in the league are 27 and under. Don't you think like, like Mookie Betts and Mike Trout and Harper, I guess, and then the, all these all these super young guys. Like, the, if you had to, if you had to draft just pure, forget about age, just the best players. Most of the guys you'd be drafting in the first two rounds are twenty seven and under. It's just very rare that that happens. I think. You know, that's right. That's right. So, by the way, just so we have this right, uh, Jeter won Rookie of the Year ninety six, uh, and only won it because A Rod had gotten a few too many at bats. Uh, beforehand he oh interesting 
Yeah, that was the year that uh, A-Rod went, hit 358 with the league leading uh, 141 runs and 54 doubles. <laughs> and he was like, he was 19 or something, right? Like- he, was, yeah, he was 20 years old. He won. He was second in the MVP, but he wasn't eligible <laughs> for the rookie of the year. And uh, Nomar won it in uh, the next year in 97. Yeah, right. Um, in which, you know, by the way, that Nomar year, he had 342 with 30 homers, 98 RBIs, 122 runs. Uh, so that's pretty solid. That's pretty solid. <laughs> There have been good. I mean, look, Jeter, Jeter's rookie year was not that great. I mean, it was it was certainly very good for a rookie, but I mean, he hit you know he had a three three WAR that year. He hit three fourteen with ten homers. He scored a hundred runs on an amazing team. It was fine. It was very. It was certainly for a rookie year. It was really good. Right. But wasn't you looked at him and said this guy could be a terrific player for years and years and years, and he probably ended up being an even better player than than somebody because you you saw him then and you would have thought this guy could be you know look a hall of fame type of player but it would be like a barry larkin type of hall of famer right Right. like a guy alan trammell a guy who was very good for a very long time and he ended up being better than that no more you thought this guy is gonna dominate the league forever a rod same thing and and that's that to me is what's so exciting about those three guys ken Uh, caminiti won the uh nl mvp that year and bonds had 2.1 2.1 war more than he did. He had 13 more runs scored. He had two more homers, same number of RBIs. He had 40 stolen. He was 40. He was a 40, 40 guy that year. He was 42 homers and 40 stolen bases. He finished fifth in the NL MVP voting, but he was Ellis Burks finished third. <laughs> Ellis Burks yeah. finished ahead of, of bonds. Yeah, some of the bonds ones. I went through some of the MVP voting for a whole other project I'm working on and some of those years are pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ridiculous. And that's a '96 is arguably pre-cream and clear, right? I mean, that's probably. Oh, I, I mean, I think there's a very good chance. I think there's a very good chance that a, that that Bonds. I mean, the the narrative is he started in '98 because he was so right ticked off about not getting any credit. I think that that's. I think that's very possible. Yeah, I think that that's very very possible. All right, the last thing, the last baseball point, the one that obviously has to be made, is we had a breakthrough in the National League Cy Young and almost in the MVP, not really almost, but sort of, where Jacob Degrom with a ten and nine record wins the Cy Young, wins it almost unanimously, um, and then actually gets an MVP vote, finishes second in the MVP voting with a ten and nine record. Have we put away? the the whole pitcher win the pitcher win thing yeah i think so right i mean i don't know it's hard to imagine a a player being in the position to win and deserve an a a cy young award with fewer than 10 wins i mean 10 is absurd the year that he had to only have 10 wins is a is one of the craziest flukes of all time so it's hard to imagine that anyone's ever going to have nine, unless it's a reliever, right? Unless it's like a, some kind of no, weird. No, it, it wouldn't count then. If it was a reliever, it's because there have been relievers with fewer wins. Right. One. So, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, it, it's been a long, slow march, right? There was Felix. There was, well, there, first there was Grinky, who had 16. Then there was Felix, who had 12, I think, right? He went 13 and 12. 13 and so 12, 12, yeah. And now DeGrom with 10. I feel like once and for all, everybody has realized. Everybody, sorry. Everybody except Mike Wilbon. <laughs> I know if everybody heard the Mike Wilbon sound, um, they played it a lot on the, on Dan Lebatard's show. Um, Wilbon railing against the the choice of Degrom, and because he because the point as he put it is to win the game, 
And the point it was made, the point was made back to him that he got a run support. And Will Bond's response was, "Well, you got to hang tough." I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but he said you got to hang tough. Uh, it, but so ex- except for Mike Wilbon, everybody in the country, I think, has realized that th- that a pitcher win is absurd. It's an absurd way to judge a pitcher's uh, success. And I think this does. I feel like it's uh, they put it to bed. I think that uh, the Degrom, no one deserved the award in history more than Degrom. He had one of the best years any pitcher has ever had, ever. And so the fact that he had ten wins is is irrelevant. It should be irrelevant. It really should be irrelevant. I, the Wilbon thing, he's not the only one. I mean, there are, there are people certainly in the Wilbon camp. I've heard from some of them. Some of them are fairly public about it, but I just don't, I don't understand the logic of it. I mean, I get, look, we, I, the logic is because I grew up with wins. So I love wins and you know, I've, I've, I've in my own mind connected wins with success and so on and so forth. I get some of that, you know, thought process, but you're telling me if somebody had the exact same year as Jacob DeGrom, exactly, given up exactly the same number of runs, same number of innings, uh, same number of strikeouts, walks, the whole thing, exactly the same year, but had gone 18 and four, right? You're telling me that suddenly that guy is like, he's no, and now he does deserve it. Now he, now he deserves it going away unanimously. He deserves it. But because the team around him wasn't good enough to score the runs, he doesn't. It's it's the stupidest thing. It really is just. Yeah, very, very I mean, it's it's you're you're saying that if Kevin Plawecki, uh, the Mets catcher, had uh, you know had hit thirty five homers this year, a thing that has nothing to do with Jacob Degrom, but those homers have been spread out over Jacob Degrom's starts, right. randomly, and had they had right. scored you know, five and a half runs per his start instead of three and a half runs per his start. And he had done exactly the same pitching that somehow, and his record had ended up being 17 and four instead of 10 and nine, that he then deserves the award. It doesn't make any, it just doesn't make any sense. It does, it's so frustrating. It, it's not a thing that is, that makes sense. And the, and the idea that anyone is still hanging on that the, the argument, the funny argument, and this has been essentially the same argument forever from back when we were doing fire Joe Morgan uh, is you have to pitch to the score. That's the argument. It's like, if the other team only, if your team only scores one run, you got to give up zero. And it's like, but that doesn't make any sense, though. It's not pitchers don't give up runs according to how many runs their team scores. They just try to never give up runs like ever. That's that's the goal is to never give up runs. And it's not like you have a certain amount of runs to give up over the course of the year and then you allot them per start or something. You're just always trying not to give up runs. And so and and also like there what happens if your team scores zero runs as happened many times when Jacob deGrom pitched this year. What happens then? What do you supposed to give up negative 1? I don't understand the argument it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. And and like I say I love Mike Wilbon but it does not make sense. Mike, stop. So um <laughs> All right, so we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna call it a call it a day. We're gonna uh, for those of you who are Patreon members, we'll uh, we'll we'll do a little draft here in a, in a minute. But before we go, I do want to say one more time: um, buy a T-shirt, right? Buy a podcast T-shirt because we are uh, going to be raising money for. Uh, I will be if you buy the fruit pie is delicious T-shirt, which is the correct T-shirt. Um, you will be uh, donating uh, money directly to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. And if you buy Mike's t-shirt, 
What is it? Oh, <laughs> hot food is disgusting. Hot food is disgusting. You will be giving money to? Uh, the International Rescue Committee, the IRC. Excellent. It's so excellent. So hopefully you'll do that. We'd love to uh, have it. So Mike, as always, thank you. Thanks for having me.